0: Hi and welcome! You're listening to the Get Into Your Skin podcast, where we talk anything and everything skincare and mental health. Each week, we will explore inner and outer beauty at the intersection of a medically informed point of view and the curiosity of a skincare amateur. Speaking of which, I am one of your hosts, Isabella Tourist, here to ask the questions you, the audience, might have, especially the dumb questions you might be too embarrassed to ask your dermatologist or have Google countless of times only tend up more confused than before you opened up your browser. This is our very first episode, which is very exciting. And I'm excited to introduce my co-host, Dr. Kumar Nadan, a medical doctor currently completing his dermatology residency in Chicago. He is a San Francisco native, a board member of the Chicago Dermatology Society, and an avid researcher in skin of color. Thank you for being
1: here. Thank you for having me, super excited. I've been looking forward to this all week and I'm glad that we're finally able to do it.
0: Yeah. we let's talk about why this podcast even started before we talk about our backgrounds, which we will do. Yeah. Um, I know you because you are really great friends of my sister's soon to be husband. Is that correct? Da-da-da-da. That is absolutely yes.
1: correct. Yeah. This is, that's how I see it from the other end. My good childhood friend, Andrew is getting married to your sister very soon. And I'm very excited for that as well. And you and I have crossed paths many times in the same social circle and we've never interacted, uh, I think longer than lots two Lots of minutes. house
0: parties, pass me yeah, a white claw. Of,
1: yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. lots of nice times and lots of smiles, but no, uh, no conversation. Yeah, Just,
0: and we started talking skincare because my sister obviously texts you. And whenever I had a question, I would text her and be like, can you text Kumar and ask if, you know, I should put on retinol when my face is dry or does this work does that not work and she's like why don't I just like give you his number and then you can start talking and then from there we just decided, like hey let's do a podcast because I'm sure I'm not the only one with these questions
1: yeah yeah absolutely not and also your questions kept me on my toes I think there's a lot of things that I peripherally heard of and I wasn't sure if people are using them and then you'd ask me about it, and I'd read into it, and I'd ask around my colleagues. and so I learned a lot too.
0: So that yeah, was actually I, really nice. I do wonder that now that there's it's kind of I was reading an article in the New York about the how the language of therapy has become really popular um, in like our daily conversations, and that's a result of people becoming more knowledgeable. But there is sort of like more knowledge on skincare, um, which Again, like sometimes you can, you can look on the internet and find the response that you want, basically. So it's like, I wonder absolutely. if people come in just knowing like what's vitamin C serum and blah, blah, blah. Yeah,
1: I, I think it's it's a double-edged sword. I think it's absolutely incredible that there's a language out there for skincare. It's developing rapidly, everyone's involved. Everyone has uh, a voice in this language and we're creating it together. So I think that's so so fantastic because we need that in order to move faster and get people to their goals. I think the other part of that sort is that, yeah, a lot of my patients, they come in and they ask, what does this serum do? Can I use this? Can I use this? And that is all wonderful. But a lot of this stuff is experimental where, you know, as this is developing, nobody knows the answers to everything. And so it is, it's tough to say. And, and I think if you look long enough on Google, you will find the answers you want. Uh, but that may not always be the best answers.
0: Yeah, the democratization, that's a word, of skincare.
1: Yeah, no, it's. I remember
0: when the little like gummies that were for skin and nails came out and then everyone was doing it and then Mm -hmm. everyone started breaking out and it's like, okay, (laughs) like let's just talk to our doctors. Um, (laughs) But okay, I'm going to talk about how I got into skincare and it basically started when the pandemic which i guess like we it turned like one year old at least for like people in the us we started being locked up like a year ago and there was a feeling a that everything in our lives was out of control b that the days just became like you wake up and you don't have to go to work but you have to do work so you do you shower do you do breakfast in bed cuz you're sad that you can't go outside and then like the routines that I established started to really help me um, especially in the morning it became like okay like wake up while I do the coffee I wash my face and then that at night so it wasn't just like oh I drank so much wine I'm in bed it's like oh okay now I wash my face now I do this now I moisturize and talking to a friend who was into skincare beforehand and he always is glowing on his IG he started telling me like do vitamin C telling me to apply SPF every day which um my dermatologist had told me a couple years before and I was like I I don't go outside I was a graduate student at the time and he was like well do you have windows because that means you need it and I was like honestly it was a little rude but I get it now I reapply it in the middle of the day (laughs)
1: um
0: but um let's talk about you so you are currently finishing up your dermatology residency
1: Yes. Yes, I am. And and before I chat about me, I think uh, what you mentioned about the pandemic stuff, I I definitely want to touch on that. I think it's absolutely nuts that it was a year ago um, that we started all this. And routines are so important to all of our lives, not just in skincare, but in everything we do. And it reminds us what we're doing uh, matters and how we take care of ourselves matters. And even if you don't have to go into work, you still, you get up for you and you do your routines for you and for to make yourself a better person and for you to work on other things and you can maintain your skin and your health. Um, so it sets you up to enjoy the rest of life. So I think that's wonderful that you made a part of your routine. Yeah, for me, it, it was out. like a,
0: like a solid barrier between I'm waking up and like scrolling on Twitter for two hours to like, no, it's the day. Cause like now my face is like, hmm. It's ready for it
1: <laughs> you're ready yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah you, you can prepare yourself physically and then mentally emotionally you can follow and i think that's really cool um you know there's mirror neurons where i always loved learning about in school and it's not in dermatology but in neurology there's mirror neurons in our brain that if you see yourself smile enough or if you see other people smile enough then you will start becoming happier and we usually think that an emotion happens first and then you smile because you're happy, but you can actually reverse that. And it's the same thing with anything that calms you down, right? You can do something calming and then you feel more calm. And that goes for skincare as well. And I think it translates over your skin. Um, so or yeah. the
0: opposite. And- I remember when I first started taking ADHD medication and I felt like the heart like okay. my body feels like I'm being chased by a zebra. So now I'm anxious. <laughs> so it's like, it goes, yeah, you need to choose what it- reactions you make your body feel because then it's like okay if I put on like a cool jade roller which we'll talk about eventually then that's something else is if you're just like yeah. let me just pour this coffee down my
1: throat and like <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely I, I have an aunt she does complementary medicine I think is insanely interesting um, and I practice what western medicine classically um, but in, in complementary medicine there's a theory that when you wake up, you should drink hot liquids first rather than eat a cold meal because your gut has been cold for the entire time you've been sleeping. So you need to warm it up and liquid is easier than solid foods to digest. So you do liquids first and hot warms everything up just like you warm up before you work out. And so you do hot coffee or hot tea before you do your yogurt and granola which is a common breakfast meal here but very difficult to digest per the theory. And I think it's very interesting. And and I personally drink a lot of tea. And I think why not? I think it is worth trying.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna try it for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely worth trying. Yeah. Bad. And and then you asked about me. Uh, I will. Uh, you went through some of what I've done, which is which is great. And it always sounds weird listening to it because I think end of the day I see myself as a human, and I start myself off like that uh, and every day. And then the titles show up in the middle of the day when you're working a lot and it feels odd. Um, but that is the field that I'm in and that's you know part of the whole deal. And so I uh, grew up in California, grew up in San Francisco, went to school in LA, and then went out to the East Coast for medical school. And then now I'm in Chicago. So I've been all over the country and everyone's been very welcoming and I love exploring. And now I'm in dermatology here doing my residency, and I did a fellowship in skin of color. And so I've been doing skin of color research and working with skin of color patients for about five years now. And my practice here in Chicago is, I would say, 80 to 90% skin of color. I would say 90% skin of color easily, I think 80% American skin of color.
0: Wait, say that again? I,
1: I would say the majority of the people I work with are skin of color. Um, and the majority of that is American, but I have okay. a lot of skin of color from Africa, Asia, okay. and so it's a big mix.
0: I was like, wait, there's other countries.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> I'm kidding. No, yeah. <laughs> totally. Okay. And so you're currently finished up the residency, which means you work in what type of setting?
1: I am working in a hospital setting, all outpatient. So I just work in clinic for most of my days. There's some months where I do uh, surgery rotations. There's some months where I do consults in the hospital, but most of my days is filled with seeing patients who come in that day, like you would go to a dermatologist and comes in with their, um, their skin problem. And I see them that day and then I'll see them back for follow-ups.
0: Mm-hmm. okay and I mean yeah yeah um and like just think about the population that you serve because like I know what I've gone to a dermatologist and as a as an adult now I just go in and like have my concerns talk to them then they send me on their way and like it was the last time I went it was like I had um I just wanted the retinate prescription <laughs> so I feel like I just went and it was like this is can I have this? And they're like, yeah, okay, bye. So I'm just wondering if like what what you see on a day-to-day basis is like similar to that? Is it just people being like, I wanna glow more or is it like like more serious problems?
1: Yeah, it's a, that's a great question. I, I, it's a mix. My practice is definitely a mix. It, the majority, um, the bread and butter is acne, which a lot of people come in for, I think in our world uh, socially. Um, and then in terms of this populations, acne, psoriasis, and eczema are big three. And eczema and psoriasis are chronic conditions, much like acne, which plague you beyond just the physical manifestations. It also has an appearance that is bothersome and it can be very itchy and symptomatic, which is also very bothersome. And those are so stubborn often. Uh, to get rid of. And so that is a huge part part of the population. And then there'll be skin cancer, of course, and there's some other conditions that really vary. The population that I work with is underserved, 95% uninsured. There are a lot of diseases that you see in third world countries or second world countries that you wouldn't expect to see in the U.S but they show up because a lot of these patients, they don't have access to care and they have gone without seeing a doctor or any type of provider for years and years and years. And they've had other stressors in their life that take up um, importance, right? Their family, their jobs, uh, everything else they need to do to survive. And so getting to a dermatologist is very difficult for the population. So they come in with very advanced, tough disease to treat. And so the practices, it keeps you on your toes because every day is like opening up a textbook and you'll see things that nobody else gets a chance to see. And then there are also patients who come in for a glow up and those are fun as well. And that has its own set of problems that you deal with.
0: Okay. I have a lot of questions based on what you said, but so I, I know we're going to eventually do like a whole episode on a lot of these topics, especially acne, um, but just what's the difference between psoriasis and eczema? Because in my brain, I just like kind of don't, I can't
1: pinpoint. Yeah, very, very good question. So I think if you have met a lot of people with a skin condition that they're annoyed by, it's usually eczema. It's something that you've dealt with as a kid. Oftentimes you have allergies and asthma associated with eczema, very itchy, and it's called an itch that rashes in the derm world because it's so itchy and then you scratch it and then you get a rash afterwards and it could be on your elbows and on the back of your knees. It could be on your face, especially as a kid. And as you get older, oftentimes you grow out of it. But a lot of people during the winter, they still get itchy, dry skin. So when you think of that itchy, dry skin, you're thinking eczema. Psoriasis has a very unique appearance to it. It's thick and pink. It's, It's almost like my shirt. It's just so... Uh, it's more pink than my shirt but it's just so salient and it's on top of the skin it's this thick plaque and then it has flaking on top of it and so psoriasis can itch as well and it can be very bothersome it can make you miserable um, and it can cover the whole body and so psoriasis is something that a lot of people deal with uh, I think between the two they cover over 20-30% of the US population so oh, wow. you're pretty much everyone's going to deal with some type of skin problem at some point or another.
0: Yeah, that's wild. And I mean, I can imagine like, I haven't dealt with uh, acne, but I know my sister does. And it's just like, even, I mean, even when I have like a pimple, it's like something that becomes like a, like a scarlet letter. (laughs) Like, How do I cover this up? So I can't imagine having something that's like spreading to other parts of your body. Like, like you can uh, probably not, but you feel like everyone's like looking at you or watching you or, you know, like, not knowing what that is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes back to what you mentioned when we started talking today is that we want to cover skincare and mental health. I think you have a huge interest in mental health, which I want to hear more about. And I do as well. And the cross section of those two is not talked about enough. And I think those two are two of the most popular topics right now. Uh, in the, in our society, right? And in, on social media and amongst my friends and po- patient population, they're so intertwined because when you have a skin condition, one, it is a manifestation of your stress. as Whether that stress is physical, emotional, psychological, I do not know. But I do know that I can see your skin is very stressed out when if you come see me and you have an eczema or psoriasis or acne that's out of control. It could even be nutritional. It's hard to pinpoint and it's different. It's a different mix for every person. But the worst part about that manifestation of stress is that it causes you more stress. And then you're in this vicious cycle. It's like anxiety, right? You're worried about being worried and it gets out of control. And so if you look at atopic dermatitis, which is within eczema, you have a 35% increased risk of committing suicide or attempting suicide. And that is absolutely nuts that a skin condition can drive you to that but it really makes a difference right acne we know that increases the rate of depression increases the rate of suicide attempts increases the rate of bullying we know that eczema psoriasis take up 15 to 20 hours of a parent's time trying to take care of their kid moisturize them bathe them properly uh, make sure that they're not scratching themselves out of sleep every night It is stressful, straining, and we cannot quantify the amount uh, that it takes away from our lives for a huge portion of the population.
0: That's that's wild. I wonder, um, because you as a dermatologist, you come in knowing this, right? That like, let's talk about why this is showing up. What are your stresses? In your experience, do these psychiatrists, like, who work in the same hospital, like, do they also ask, like, hey, like? what's going on with this, the skin connection. Cause um, this is just happened. So I, we haven't talked about it, but I'm on antidepressants. They're vibrant and I've been on it for, I think a whole year. So they're kind of working, but not super great. And so I got started on Lamictal, which is a mood stabilizer. Um, it's usually given to people with bipolar, but basically if you're depressed and you're like, your mood is always like maybe lower than most people, but steadily and sometimes it goes like boom takes a it's a valley right so what the mood stabilizer does is kind of like make that low not be super low so yeah you'll feel kind of like shit but it won't be that shitty so this was like a good medication to take but truly um and I I know my skin pretty well I look at myself all day not a lot of people around here quarantine but truly I took it for three days and started breaking out in a way that had never happened and it wasn't like, because sometimes if you're on your period or you're eating something greasy, like, eh, okay. But this was like, uh, uh-uh, uh no. And then I stopped taking it after a week. Saw them go away, and like when I talked to my psychiatrist about it, she was like, oh, yeah, that that can happen. But like, let's talk about the pros and cons. I'm like, okay, that was dismissed super fast. Like, I made the decision to not take it anymore. Um, I'm like, let's let's find another one, and obviously with any medication that can have, um, side effects there's, you know, with Abilify, you can gain weight. And like, to me, it's like, I'd rather gain weight and be happy. But for some reason, it's like, no, I don't want the acne on my face. So I just think that like this psychiatrist, I haven't dealt like dealt with other ones in this case, but like, didn't did not register that it was a big deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. That's great. And I think your experience is, is special, to you and I think it is a great um, learning experience for you and for everyone else that, that gets to hear about it. Uh, but it's something that is not uncommon okay. uh, in terms of what people experience. And it is so difficult, right? I, I think for a couple of reasons. One, I think different fields of medicine do not communicate with each other as much as they should. I, I think we've created these specialists and they're so wonderfully trained and they're smart but there's so much information to learn that they cannot also learn another specialty. Um, it's, it, and you have primary care doctors which, who handle a, a, so much information and they're incredible for it. And I applaud them and I've tried it before um, and it's difficult work. But to be able to keep track of all these medications is, is so, so tough. And I think that's where we get lost in the weeds because any medication you take, like you said, there are side effects. These pills, they are manufactured. They're strong. They're meant to do a lot of work in the body, but it's like signing a deal with the devil uh, with some of these pills, right? It's you can fix what you are asking for, but you don't know what else you're gonna lose. And yeah, it's that like can that make movie um,
0: "Bedazzled" with um, Brendan Fraser, where all of his wishes just get fucked up because it's the devil, and it's like, yeah, I'm happy now, but I've gained a bunch of weight and like do you stay or do you
1: go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess you, yeah, it's jolly. I, you know, I, when we start a lot of these medications, there's a couple of things I think that we should think about. One is a lot of these medications, we have come to accept that we're going to be on them for life, which I do not think is the point of a pill. And I think a lot of people in medicine would agree with me but I don't know if that would change the way they practice because how do you change it? Because these pills are so good that it can allow you to continue your lifestyle, whatever that was that caused you to get to that point. It can allow you to continue that. And this will be a crutch.
0: Yeah, and no, I mean, 100%, 100% I also do therapy. We love Sharon, she's the best. I see her once a week. <laughs> but, um, cause I, obviously when you start saying I'm going to take a pill for the rest of my life, which is what kind of antidepressants are. And of course, I am a person who will put on the tinfoil cap sometimes and be like, well, obviously these companies like pharmaceutical companies made a pill that you have to take every single day for the rest of your life, or you will go through awful withdrawals, you know, that will make you go back on it. And which is a thing, but also I'm very happy with my antidepressants. I'm also aware that a lot of depression can treatment resistant depression you can be good on antidepressants and then your brain chemistry is like i'm used to this like we're sad again and you have to switch them up so it's like even if you're like okay i want to take these pills for the rest of my life there might come a time where you have to switch them up so um
1: absolutely your brain gets used to it the body is incredible the body is amazing it'll adapt to whatever you throw at it it'll adapt (laughs) and so if you throw pills at it eventually your body will adapt to it. And we see that with even injectable uh, medications that are biologics that are incredibly strong body can get used to it. And it's incredible to fathom because there's such well-developed, researched, expensive drugs, but the body is invaluable. It's, It's absolutely incredible. And so, so yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you do therapy, you work on yourself, you do things that fix the underlying issues that got you to a point where you sought help. And that is, what the pills I think are meant to do is to give you enough energy and to give you enough wiggle room so that you can work on yourself and it'll be there to pick up the slack and then because it's really tough and exhausting and so showing up to
0: the therapy appointment when you feel super low is not going to happen so like okay at least I can show up there and do that I do have a question because okay basically in my experience It seems like common experience. Psychiatrists don't really think about dermatological conditions. You guys obviously do because it's so linked and like so obviously linked. So when a patient shows up and you're like, okay, you have eczema. Um, here's some treatment, but it's there's something that's stressing you out in your life. Do you just go like you should figure out what that is? (laughs) Like how do you even treat something like that? You know what I mean?
1: That, that's a great question. And I'll, and I'll say that my psychiatry colleagues, I uh, absolutely adore them because whenever I talk to them, they teach me so much. And so I feel like they have so much to work with that they probably know that things are linked, but they're not given the tools and the time to solve it as most of us are not. Um, as, as people, it doesn't seem to be enough time to work on ourselves. Uh, in DERM, I, I will say that I cannot speak for my Durham colleagues. I think that MDs, you are often taught that when people come in with a problem, you then solve it and then you're done. But the, w- I, the way I practice, and if somebody comes in with eczema is that I let them know that they have some type of stress that got them to this point. It opened up a door to this dark world that they are stuck in and I will help manage the physical manifestations of that. So I think there is a stress and then there's a physical manifestation on the skin and I will help manage this part as much as I can. I will calm the body down. I will tell the body through anti-inflammatory medications often like topical steroids, it says, you're okay. There's nothing going on. You don't need to send all your defense mechanisms to the skin to cause damage, to fight what you think is happening, right? And that is the job of medicine, that is my job. The other job that is required in this two parts is yours. And that is to figure out what is causing you stress, whether it be emotional, whether it be psychological, you just went through a breakup, or it could be something physical, right? My good friend, she has eczema of her hands because she washes her hands all the time for surgery. And when you're washing your hands for surgery and you're scrubbing in, you're using those chemicals, they're so harsh. And then you get inflamed, right? That's, that breaks the skin. And then you get inflamed and that's your body saying, uh oh, there's a problem there. Let's go figure it out. Let's send everything we got. It doesn't know what the problem is, but it's sending everything. And now you're in the cycle of inflammation and the inflammation is kind of like the body's anxiety in the skin. It's just freaking out. And you got to tell it to calm down at some point because you can't solve it. On top of the washing, then if you eat certain foods that make you inflamed, whatever those foods are for you, whether it be sugar, which is a common inflammatory marker, or it is dairy, which is a common inflammatory siding factor, those things make it worse. And so that's where you get into a slippery slope of, okay, I'm going to comfort myself by doing something else, but that makes it worse. Like I'm gonna go eat a bunch of chocolates, but then the chocolate makes it worse
0: there's there's a trade-off
1: it's a trade-off I'm I'm lactose
0: intolerant and sometimes I'm like you know what I will feel shitty for today because that was not a pun (laughs) 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 I'm like I'm craving cheese and I've recently discovered lactate but there's also like I mean even with like sugar things like that it's like that sometimes the stress of life it's so harsh that like comfort food it is, is, can be healing and then you yeah it's yeah also what you're talking about is like sometimes anxiety is like a condition that some of us have but sometimes anxiety is something that shows up and tells you hey something's off with what's going on we don't know what it is but you feel it so it mm-hmm. seems like sometimes a rash or in like the itchiness is telling you hey this thing that you put in our body we don't like it like an allergy or, I mean, I don't know how you help your friend cause she needs to keep scrubbing it. <laughs> but you know, like there's just something that needs to be changed. I'm I was gonna ask you about this later but there must be some sort of like, oh, there's sort of this weird pollution in your home or like you're being exposed to this or that. And like your body's telling you through your skin, like we need to change something. And that's like, honestly yeah. sucks. Cause like you're dealing with something that sucks but it's also like helpful.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is a wonderful way to look at it. It is a signal that says you need a break and the comfort foods, like you talked about or comfort behavior, it is very comforting. And that's the tough part is I'm not going to sit here and say, don't eat chocolate. I'm not going to sit here and say, don't do the things that make you feel good. Right. Because that those are comforting and I completely understand the need for them. And that's, but that's a decision that you gotta make, right? If that is something that's hurting you, if that is something, it's like a bad relationship, right? It feels great at the time, but if you keep going back to that and it's toxic, at some point you have to figure out what do you need to do to make yourself feel better in a month, in two months. And and that is something that only every person can answer for themselves. I think that is where my job as a doctor stops. And I think that is, or as a dermatologist at least stops. I think that is where if a therapist can step in, or if I had that ability and more time to be a therapist for somebody, that is the next step, right? Is to fix those underlying things, get a routine that helps you, that makes you feel better and to get you to that point where future you thanks you for yeah. for avoiding some stuff.
0: Yeah, it's um this reminding me when I was younger, like pretty young like nine or ten I had dandruff and so we would go to the doctor like get the shampoos like blah 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 blah. the doctor was really sweet like I was a child being like right <laughs> but he was at one point he was like okay you need to wash this way like this many times uh, and he was like also how good are your grades I was like um, they're great they're like straight A's I was in Mexico so they were all 10s he was like, okay, so that needs to change. You need to not have straight A's because you're clearly very stressed out. <laughs> and like, that's how that's making the dandruff show up. And I'm like, it's hard because you hear that. And obviously as a child, you're like, what it, what? Yeah. Doesn't make sense. But even as an adult, someone were to tell me, okay, like you're doing great at your job. Like you're, you're volunteer, you're doing all these things. And then it's like, now be less stressed so that this can be fixed. It's like, how do I do that? Like, this is what? And it's such a hard instruction to get from a doctor. And like, it's very real. It's like, yeah, I I don't want the dandruff, but like, I also want to have good grades. And it's like, okay, how do you even begin to do this work where it's like, yeah,
1: that's up to the patient. Up to the patient. And and I hope the doctor gives you some guidance. Probably a lot of it is what you just did, which is breathing, which (laughs) just, getting the breathing down and getting the meditation in and the yoga and it it is such a push and pull right you want to be so healthy but at the same time you we're in a world that you can be very stressed out like get you have to get the best grades and you have to get a great job and make a lot of money and it's it's a very rat race kind of world that can suck you in and before you know it you're down you're in the loop
0: and that's also a very like middle class concern if you're talking about the patients that you Mm -hmm. see who don't have health insurance like Okay, let me be less stressed out, but I have to work at Amazon where I have to not take, you know, any type breaks or where I have to have two jobs. Some of them are serving people who treat you like shit to your face. And it's like, yeah, I can't. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's a completely different world. I, I think that that's a whole you know, you bring up different jobs and how pressed they are for work. I have a lot of patients who come in and we have the luxury right now, we're talking about glowing skin and we're talking about look, looking pretty and in good jobs and um, day-to-day stress that is first world problems and uh, middle class. But majority of my patients, they are struggling just to survive, right? They have multiple incomes. They are uh, maybe one one parent household. They have so little support in their lives that they are not set up for success. And so they are just chasing down all of the loose threads in their life. And their skin is is not the priority, but the the disease gets so bad, the conditions get so bad that they have to come in and they get a chance to come in. And then you tell them, okay, you gotta fix this. You gotta decrease the stress. And it is easier said than done. And, And anytime I say that to somebody, I say, look, I'm gonna say this and I know how hard it is, and, but you, you gotta find some way. You just gotta find some way for yourself, not for anybody else, for yourself so that you could be the best you. And then you could support all the people you need to support, including yourself. And I don't know what that stress is, but, and if there was a way that I could relieve it, I wish I could, but I will do my best to calm everything down while you figure that out.
0: Right. And And it's like that that cycle that you were talking about, like, hey, let's help you like with these topical creams or pills, like that helps. If you decrease your stress, that'll help your skin condition as well. And then that makes you more able to take on the other stresses in your life because you're not worried about the the skin condition. And that's something that I wanted to bring up because I know, and we'll definitely, I'm pretty sure we'll talk about stigma a lot when it comes to Mm -hmm. skin diseases. But I do think that and i this happens with obviously mental illnesses with other illnesses as well but there's so, so much shame wrapped around like certain like conditions i remember being 10 and being like not knowing like not knowing why but knowing that i should be embarrassed about the dandruff i just knew that it was something to be embarrassed about no one told me like you should be embarrassed about that but it was something that i didn't want so i'm sure that a lot of people just like have this thing and they just want to hide it like it has to get really bad for them to go out to take time out of their super busy, stressful lives to go and see someone to take care of it. So yeah, I'm just like, do you see a lot of that like embarrassment or sort of thinking, is it because I'm not washing properly? Like there's just so many myths out there that's like Dandruff is because you don't wash your hair, like all these other things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, That's a great point. And you, you recognized it when you were 10. And, and I think it does that much damage to you even when you're younger and you don't have so much pressure on yourself. And then when you're older, it just gets worse. I think it gets compounded over the years. And it's especially rough in minority communities where you have a stigma of being dirty, right? We did this study, we're doing this research, we're putting out this research study now, and we interviewed hundreds and almost thousands of people about their bathing habits. And we asked black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, white people. And we found that oftentimes the minorities, especially black people, will wash themselves so much more and more frequently. And we wanted to know why that was. And it's not easy to ask that question, uh, but we have to have that conversation at some point. And a lot of it is this built up stigma that there is dirtiness associated with minorities. And so when you are in a white dominated world, when you are in a high functioning society, you wanna be clean and presentable and you wanna be part of the norm. And there's so much pressure and I think it's, uh, we have incredible waves and movements right now that go against that and they promote um, diversity and colored skin and culture. And I think that is incredible. But when you are out there by yourself in the world, you feel completely by yourself. And when you have a skin condition and you are, you have dandruff in your hair or you have eczema and you're flaking on your skin, you feel by yourself. You don't feel part of a movement at that time. And I think that's where it really comes down on you. And so we really do feel that. I have a lot of uh, my black patients who they clean their skin with alcohol. And yeah, it, you know, yeah, that and I don't even have that reaction anymore because it happens. I it's at least two or three times a day where I have to convince my patient, you are not dirty. You are not dirty. I, it, and I don't even get into, you know, why you would think that it's just, you are not, I promise you, you are not dirtier than anybody else. You do not need to clean your skin of bacteria or anything else. You do not need to use alcohol. That just hurts. Nourish yourself, cherish yourself. Your, your skin is black skin is actually extremely strong, extremely impressive. And, uh the old saying black don't crack i mean there's a reason right they, they have an <laughs> they have incredible skin and and so it is it really hurts to see that and i think i've experienced it with you know my own culture i am darker skin and indian culture has a huge stigma on darker versus lighter skin and i know a lot of other cultures do as well lot asian cultures mexicans. mexicans and so Uh, Even I believe in Black community. uh, There's not, I don't think, as much variation in color in the Black community, but I think lighter skin is definitely acknowledged. Um, And so, there's so much that you have to deal with that is deep down when it comes to skin conditions in the minority community. And when you're a kid in the minority community and you have flaking skin, that you feel embarrassed and you don't even know why. And I, there's a lot of that you can't control, and, and we have to start the conversation somewhere. And, and we're starting something now, and I think that's great. And you just work at it, and you chip at it, and hopefully, you save a lot of ten-year-old kids some pain.
0: Oh yeah, my heart sank when you said the
1: rubbing like
0: they think they're dirty. But it did remind me of something funny that I saw on Twitter, <laughs> which is people were going around asking like, "Do people wash their feet when they're in the shower?" and mm-hmm. I'm a, mostly white people were saying no it's the soap you know it comes down and then you're clean and like mostly black people were saying like no you you take a, a you scrub them <laughs> and it was it's kind of like that that like white people think i mean obviously we we're speaking generalizations but like yeah i'm in the shower and the soap washes off cool but like the group of people who has to think more about that were like no we have to wash between the toes and that that was just like very funny obviously cuz um Black people were roasting white people. And I thought that was very funny. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Yes. laughs> we're like, you don't like, want, yeah. what else do you know? <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. but yes. it, it, it does remind me of that. And I, I think there was also um a debate about like how often do you change the 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 rag or the, I forget the name for the, like the loofah and like black people were mm-hmm. also changing it out more often. And it's just, it's just a reflection of like exactly what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is, it, you know, it, Brings up two thoughts. One, another thing we found in that they didn't have a study was that Black people, they often have a cultural washcloth, where if you go into a family's house, so said from our patients, that you have a bar of soap, and then you have three washcloths, one for the dad, one for the mom, one for the kid, and they, that is their loofah and you take the soap and you put the washcloth around it and then you scrub yourself. And that is so abrasive on the skin for whatever reason that was uh, many cultural and also I think stigmatic and stereotypical reasons, they felt the need to scrub their skin much more than maybe whites did. And mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of conclusions that we can jump to. And I don't think they're as important as the fact that we, we got to acknowledge those behaviors exist we can't just keep hiding and saying everybody's the same all skin color is the same that's it, not true it, it is not true because there's not just the skin it is everything that comes with it having that skin and i know you've encountered I, i'm assuming you've encountered um uh, racism in its own walks having immigrated from mexico and i have encountered it i have i changed colors throughout the year and I get darker in the summer and I get lighter in the winter and people treat me differently based on the time of year and based on my haircut and uh, based on where I am in the country. So it, everything, it comes, to, it comes together. And so when you talk about scrubbing yourself, uh, it's such a difference. The, the other thing I think about is, uh, I think this is such an interesting concept, is the glow. We talk Everyone loves talking about the glow.
0: The dewy, right? it's like a, then, the dewy the thing is in. The other day, I looked like a glazed donut. Truly, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like no, <laughs> but yeah. it's in, yeah.
1: The dewy's in, right? Dewy's in, and and uh, dewy's a great look. But if you are shiny in the black community, you're often called greasy. You're, and I have been told by. Uh, older black women who are some of my favorite patients uh, because they will tell you whatever they're thinking and they they be like oh go wash your face you look greasy they don't tell me when when they know that I'm a dermatologist and they're coming to see me as a patient but in another walk of life if I'm just walking around that's what they think and but on that same day a white person will tell me I look dewy mm-hmm. so I I I can't help but to think that there is some type of stigma that differentiates those two.
0: Yeah, no, and for me, like to acknowledge my own privilege is like, I am Mexican, like fair skin. And especially when I just moved to the US and people would ask me like, what are you? That was a question I've never heard before. Cause I grew up in Mexico. It's very homogenous or homogenous. Don't know either, (laughs) but we're basically everyone in Mexico is Mexican and there's obviously racism there especially towards like more indigenous looking people, but everyone's Mexican. And then you come here and it's like, what, what are you? I'm Irish and French and 5% native American. And I would just be like, Oh, I'm Mexican. And they'd be like, really? Like, but just Mexican. Like, I think they wanted me to say like, Oh yeah. Like I have a grandmother who came from Spain. Like, it was just like, you don't look Mexican to me. It's like, what do you think it looks like? So yeah, there's, there's just so many things that come with colorism and, and, you know white supremacy and I mean in Mexico even when babies are born and they look blondish they're they're called gueritos, and it's like oh he's a guarito, like so pretty and then like a darker skinned baby comes it's like oh and it's like people <laughs> yeah I like you hear it everywhere and it's um it's definitely something that it's not just an American issue for sure and you talk yeah it's not just mm-hmm. a
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's not just an American issue and and you, you wonder how much of it is, though, rooted in colonialism. And you know, not just because we have Americans in Western culture now, is that there were Spanish and Catholics conquering the world back in the day, right? And, and there was a different ruling class. I know in India, the British came over and they ruled for quite some time. And the lighter skin you are, the more close to the ruling class you are in appearance and so when your baby is born and they're very dark you know that they're going to have a naturally harder life than when they're light just by probability because that is who is in charge and so I think that um, translates over I think less and less now I would very much hope and I think we're doing very well at diversifying and acknowledging differences but
0: you're more optimistic than me (laughs) okay we have talked for a while and we did have a last segment and like i'm sure we will talk a lot about this more in future episodes um but the last segment was to do a quick run through of my skincare routine um and we wanted to do this on the first episode so we could touch on some of the things that we'll talk about in more depth later on um so yeah i'll start off with my morning routine and well, yeah, we'll talk a lot more about this because I'm not the only person who st- started adding shit to the routine, just being like, you know, this doesn't, this works. I don't know how, but I'm going to put it on my face. <laughs> so um, yeah, with all the adjacent products that come with it, like to start off, I will say the silk pillowcase and the bamboo cloth towels that are advertised as being for babies. I use that on Okay, so that starting with that, and then so morning I do uh, double cleansing. So first with a micellar water, and then with a gentle foam cleanser. And then I put on a toner, a moisturizing toner, because when I first started, the first toner that I found had witch hazel in it, which I didn't realize was a thing that dries stuff out. But I was putting on my face, it was red and itchy, and I was like, it's working. And then my friend had to be like, no, if you're in pain, you should, you should not do that. <laughs> um, so that was it. Then I put on the vitamin C serum on most days, which I use a cold jade roller to, to slather that on. This is all waiting to, for things to dry out as they go. And then I put on moisturizer and then I put on SPF. And then I put on SPF later on in the day. And if I'm going to go outside, I, split, I put it again. No. So that's that's the first one. That's the that's that morning is, routine.
1: That is a solid morning. That yeah, it takes a while. Yeah, huge support of the SPF. Huge yeah. fan. Everything up till then, I think, is up for discussion. I mean, <laughs> okay. all that I have thoughts on. Some of that good, some of that bad. Some of it I have no idea, some of it I'm very curious about and no. I, I can't wait to discuss that. That is, um, oh, I have so many thoughts, that is great. It's, it's
0: doing a lot. And also I don't think this gets talked about enough because I Googled it when it was happening to me and I had to go, you know, like not the first two, it was like number 10 <laughs> to figure it out. But there's a thing that when you put on so many products on your face, you start getting like like layered products like, and then I try to put on makeup on top. It's like, what is this? What's happening to my face? I thought it was like falling off. <laughs> it's like my skin was falling off. And then it's just like little balls of product. So apparently like you can't do all the serums in one day. Oh, and this is for a regular day. So twice a week <laughs> after, okay. after putting the toner on, I will use a derma roller on my face, which is a thing that's a rolly thingy with a bunch of tiny needles on it stainless steel needles that I will disinfect for like 15 minutes and then I will roll it on my face it hurts because you're stabbing your face with needles <laughs> and then I put on hyaluronic acid which is an acid that is a serum that is similar to it's the serum step in the routine but it's more moisturizing I think so that's why i put it on after i step my face with needles and then also once a week i will shave my face um which is called derma planning in social media they sell little derma planning tools but they're literally just razors they're mm-hmm. just face razors and i started doing it because apparently it exfoliates oh exfoliates sometimes i do a chemical exfoliant and then sometimes the physical, and we'll talk about the ABHEs, BBCs, e, AAs. Because <laughs> oh, oh, I don't it. know what they mean at all. I just do, I put it on my face. Um, yeah, apparently, shaving your face is great at exfoliating and it takes away like the little hairs, obviously, which I do think like make my face brighter. Um, but it also lets the products reach the skin more efficiently. Who knows? <laughs> So that's that's the morning.
1: All right, that is the morning. morning. <laughs> I forgot to add that part. Okay. All right. <laughs> and then. Well, we got a lot to start with. Yeah. Oh, let's not go into the night. We're don't go into the night. Not yet. Let's start with the day. Let's start the Okay. <laughs> it's enough for one time. All right, we'll do that. We'll do that first. <laughs> Okay, lots of thoughts. I'll write them down and we'll chat.
0: Okay, for our next episode?
1: Next episode.
0: Okay, sounds good. Oh, yeah. Okay, um, last thing that we want to add is we, that we also want this podcast to be user-generated. Um, we would love to answer your questions as best we can, bring on guests with different types of expertise and discuss topics you are interested in. So please email getintoyourskinpod at gmail.com with your questions or DM us at our Instagram page as getintoyourskinpod. Okay, this is the end of the first episode and we're super stoked about this and really appreciate you listening. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, review and subscribe. I listen to a lot of podcasts so that came out very naturally on whatever platform you listen to to make sure you don't miss an episode of the Get Into Your Skin podcast and follow us on Instagram. If you found this uh, podcast episode helpful, you can share it with your friends, your parents, your Uber drivers, the people that you see waiting to cross the street, except don't do it because there's Corona, put a mask on, (laughs) but just share it on on your Instagram. So do it on social media and don't catch COVID. (laughs) All right. Bye.
1: Bye everyone. Listen to Isabel.